Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, what's going on? Joe McCall. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast, and we got a special guest on today's show. We're going to be talking with uh, one of the guys who started a company called the Joe Homebuyer Franchise, and it's an amazing company that helps investors systemize their business. And we're going to be talking about the basics, more than just the Joe Homebuyer Franchise, which I love the name, right? We're going to be talking about the basics of building predictable revenue in your business. And we have a great guest on named Mark, and we're going to be talking to him about it. And you've probably heard of his business partner before. He's been on my show. But first, I want to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by FreedomSoft Joe. And if you didn't know this, I actually have custom built a Joe McCall signature edition of FreedomSoft. Now, FreedomSoft has been around a long time. Good friend of mine, Rob Swanson, purchased the company five or six years back, has made some incredible improvements on FreedomSoft. It's incredibly fast. I've looked at almost all the CRMs and honestly, in my humble opinion, it is the best database CRM marketing manager tool out there for real estate investors. I love it. I use it every day. My sons use it for our land flipping business. We use it for lease option deals. We use it for wholesaling deals. It's a great way to manage your entire business, your buyers, your seller leads, your properties, and you're going to love it. If you want to watch a free webinar that I did with Rob Swanson about FreedomSoft and how it works, and you want more details about the Joe McCall Signature Edition of FreedomSoft, I want you to go to hundredsofleads.com. On that webinar at hundredsofleads.com, we show you how in just a matter of, I think, eight or nine minutes, we literally got a hundred, a couple hundred leads and records that you could then start marketing to from all right inside of FreedomSoft. And with the Joe McCall Signature Edition, you get all of our custom workflows, contracts, marketing pieces, follow-up emails, the templates, the letters, the contracts, it's and workflow automations, all that good stuff. It's there, so you should check it out, hundredsofleads.com. All right, now, enough of that. Should we bring on our guest? His name is Mark, Mark Stubler, or That's did I right. say that right? You got it. Nice. How you doing, Mark? Fantastic, Joe. Thanks for having me on, and uh, how are you doing? Doing real good. Doing good. Now, awesome. mutual friend Cody Hoffine yes. uh, introduced us uh, a little while ago, and he's been on my show once or twice, maybe a couple times. We go back to with the mutual friend of a mutual friend. Tom That's Cole. Right. And That's um, right. you've been in the business a long time with Cody Hoffine. And you guys started a company called Joe Homebuyer. So That's I wanted right. to get you on and talk a little bit about that. But would you introduce folks to who you are and what is it that you do? How'd you get started in the business? Yeah, thanks, Joe. And I appreciate the introduction and grateful to be on the show and visit with you here. So yeah, Mark Stubler, been in the real estate game for several years now, but I'm not I'm not your typical real estate investor. I, uh, or maybe I am. I guess you'll tell me, Joe, but, uh, I love the entrepreneurial, uh, route that we took. Uh, and I'm, I feel super fortunate to have found real estate, but I came from 10, 12 years of selling fencing and decking products. So I had nothing to do with real estate, but did well, worked for a fantastic company. But the opportunity for me to become an entrepreneur surfaced when I went from being an outside sales rep, having lots of freedom, coming and going as, as, as I please. And all of a sudden they said, hey, why don't you come in once a week for six hours and fill the inside sales rep position? And uh, for me, it sucked the life out of me, Joe. It was all of a sudden that autonomy I thought I had, that freedom, 
it, it seems so simple, but yet it was so impactful to me that dawned on me, oh, wait a minute, I don't work for myself. I still have to respond. And I called it the pencil sharpening position because I literally went from being autonomous at my own schedule, come and go as I please to, I had to schedule a few hours a week in the office and, and twiddle my thumbs, I felt like. And it was enough to trigger that, all right, I got to do my own thing. And Cody Hoffman and I were good friends. He'd actually worked at the same company uh, several years uh, previously. In previous Salt Lake that, City, right? In Salt Lake, yep. And so uh, Cody and I have rich history in uh, fencing sales. So if uh, anybody uh, sideline knows Cody, ask him uh, a little bit about fencing. He'll wonder why, why that, where that question came from. But anyway, oh, yeah. we partnered up and realized uh, that uh, we shared a lot of the same values, had a lot of the same work ethic and ambitions. And fortunately, uh, Cody introduced me to what he had just recently started doing in wholesaling. And it was perfect. We teamed up in 2016 and really got after it in, in the Utah market uh, you know, that year. And the rest is history, I guess. All right. So you had, you had not really done any real estate before meeting Cody and talking to him about it? No, I was one of those serial uh, you know, am- entrepreneurs to be, meaning I had done one rehab. I had had a rental. I, was am- I had the, the ambitions of being an entrepreneur and, and flirted with real estate. But no, when it came to wholesaling and you know, marketing for deals, yeah, I've done very little and, and knew very little about real estate. Okay. I'm looking up that podcast I did with Cody here. He got started. Well, I did a podcast in April 2018 with him and yep. then another two podcasts in 2016. So it was five years ago. Holy smokes. <laughs> we started working with him when? In 2016, January of 16 is when we partnered up. Yep. All right. So it was June 2016 that I started interviewing him and he was already doing a seven figure wholesaling business. At least he says he was. We were, and, we hit the ground running that year. We did some pretty special things and took some market share in Utah. So yeah, it, we were definitely on track for that. Nice. So I interviewed him in 2016 as episode. If you all want to check it out, episode 147 and 148. Uh, in 147, we talked about how to build a seven figure wholesaling business. We talked about how he was doing it. And then uh, in the next podcast, we talked a lot about systems and teams, which I imagine, Mark, you had some role in that. Certainly. Um, okay, cool. So you started uh, doing wholesaling. Now, sometimes, I mean, people look at who are, especially who live in Salt Lake City, I know people that do, uh, they complain that it's a expensive, competitive, difficult market to wholesale deals in. Um, is it? I feel like it is, Joe. Okay. But it's fun because there's four of us franchisees, Joe Homebuyer franchises in Utah, and to see that all of us are getting results and having some of the best years we've ever had is really exciting. But I will, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll add my name to the list of people that complain about it being a competitive market. It's, it's tough out here. It is. And every city I know, investors <laughs> who are in, they say the same thing. Okay. So, you know, it was competitive back in 2016 when you were getting started, but you guys were doing deals, right? What was it back then? And what is it now that is going to make the difference between somebody who's struggling in real estate and somebody who's consistently doing deals? Yeah, great question, Joe. So the funny thing is, is that that epiphany came to me recently here in 2021, the tail end of the year here. We are most successful when we keep it simple. We've overcomplicated it at times, Joe. I'm guilty of that where, you know, you maybe get a little bit heavy on your labor in terms of team members. You, you know, you overthink, you know, different processes. And the truth is, Cody and I did, you know, had fantastic results that first year, as you alluded to. And we had a team of four, me, Cody, he did dispo. I did acquisitions. We had somebody helping with the phone and an admin. And then if you count VAs, we had the admin managed VAs and we were knocking it out of the park with four of us plus huh. VAs. And, you know, now we have a team of quadruple that, uh, maybe not quite. And obviously our team's a lot bigger today because we support the franchisees through our team. 
But sometimes I think we overcomplicate. Well, maybe I'll hire another person to do this, or I'll bring on this additional software and system and process. And it really is going back to the basics that I think would be, you know, the answer to the question is, you know, because this business is super simple, it's just not easy. But we can also be victims of our success or wanting to streamline things better. And if we're not careful, we can overcomplicate the process. It's really just a process of managing a lead, meeting with the seller, putting under contract. And then obviously, you know, what are your exit strategies from there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not that complicated. I wrote a book called Brilliant at the Basics. Uh, I need to make well, sure I still have that domain. No, you know what? I don't. Somebody else had it. But it was a great book called Brilliant at the Basics. And it was all about keeping it simple. And the people that are most successful in the business are the ones who are best at the basic, simple things. And as crazy as that sounds, it goes against our human nature wanting to complicate things, especially as as entrepreneurs and business owners. We feel like, you know, well, that's already been done before. Somebody's already doing that. You know, I don't want to do the same thing they're doing. But that's so true. I don't know. But that's sometimes the best way to make money is to do what you know it's, is working and not to be feel like you have to be the trailblazer. All right, so Mark, let's talk a little bit more about those things that are working. Um, you know, things change though too. Back in 2016, you were probably doing a lot of postcards and direct mail, right? Sure. Are you yep. still doing that today? Yeah, actually this year, direct mail has, is our leading. It's a little nugget for people. Yeah, direct mail is doing best for us. You know, we have other nice. uh, marketing channels doing very well, including web and prospecting, but direct mail has really come on strong. And, and why do you think that is? Well, I will tell you, we've refined some of the things and we're always split testing. So we're trying to figure out, all right, is it a a messaging thing? Is it a color of postcard? Is it a sequencing in terms of frequency? You know, what is it that drives the highest, you know, call rate, response rate, and then ultimately what translates to the most appointments and contracts? So we're really tracking that carefully. But uh, we really became disciples of this idea that the messaging does make a difference. And maybe disciples is the wrong word, but we really became students of the idea that, all right, what is it that attracts these, you know, motivated sellers? What is it the messaging that catches their eye, but also speaks to their to their minds and hearts of like, oh, if I call this person, I can thrive or I can survive or both, right? You know, what's going to help me move on to Plan B? So we're really becoming students and of the art of, you know, what what messages speak to our clientele. And in fact, one thing that we're we're doing is we're going to bring some of our clients into our office, Joe. And we haven't done this yet, but we've gotten scheduled. We're going to be bringing some of our clients into our office and asking them, what do you think of this message? What do you think of this? What speaks more to you? Because we really want to you know, define the art. And also, we owe that to our franchisees. We want to be able to give that data back to them and say, hey, here's the messaging that works the best. And uh, so we're really excited about what Direct Mail has done for us. And obviously, still students of best practices to figure out how we can master it. All right. So give us some examples of, of what is some good messaging then. Yeah. So we found that and again, we're students through, a, and I'm not necessarily trying to put a plug in for this group, but Story Brand, it's a book. Oh, yeah. And great. it really focuses. Yeah. Okay. You know, so we had a, a gal, obviously, we all read it, but then we had somebody on our team actually go through the course and get the additional training. And then collectively, we've, you know, tried to adopt those, the logic. But it's, it's this idea of how do we make sure that the seller knows that if they work with us, that they can not only survive, but they can thrive. And so, you know, for us, It's, you know, do you start with a question and a question that might be specific to what's going on in their life? You know, something like, do you need a fresh start? And then addressing the things. And and obviously there's nuances within their training and their strategies that talk about, you know, uh, making sure that they're the hero and that it's not us. We're not making it all about us. There's little nuances and we're trying to figure out how to, you know, get those key points across as far as, you know, cash and simple and close quick and all those things, but yet not make it 
you know, because we all use those techniques, but what is it that actually speaks to the hearts of those that need our service? And so mm-hmm. it's refining these, those things over time. Yeah, it's keeping it simple too, I imagine, right? It so, is. Uh, so you're saying your your letters, your postcards, the old messaging just doesn't work anymore? So have How have you changed that in your direct mail, for example? Well, interestingly enough, Joe, I don't know that the old messaging doesn't work. We have found that if you get good content and you stay consistent, and then there's another component, and that is how well you manage the opportunities that come in. And I think that's an interesting equation that you have to consider because I found that some of our franchisees that spend little on marketing but manage their leads with you know extreme precision yield fantastic ROIs where others will invest more but yet not manage their leads quite as well or as with as much urgency and they are not getting as good as results although they spend more. So I'm not certain that that, that the message, you know, the old message marketing that a lot of us have seen is not working, but we're trying to master it so that we can take the collective data that we're capturing in several markets because we're in several markets with the franchises that now we're trying to say, all right, what's the art of it? What is it that gets that extra 1% or that extra half percent in response rate that then gives us an opportunity to share our service with that many extra people? So believe it or not, we've had success from some of the vintage postcards that, that all of us have seen and used. But uh, we're not settling on that as being the only way to capture uh, our clientele. Okay, so let's say you're sending out a postcard campaign. What are some of the simple basic things that are part of that direct mail campaign? Do you have a phone number, Do you have a toll-free number? Does it, is it local? Does it say 24-hour recorded voicemail? Do you guys answer the phone? Does, what, talk about some of that. Yeah, and I love your very specific question. Your listeners are going to get some solid nuggets, hopefully, from observing okay. these guys. You don't mess around. You're you're getting right down to the nitty gritty. Yeah, for us, you know, we haven't done. You know, we've done the gimmicky stuff like 24 hour pre recorded voicemail, and we found that that got a good response rate, but it didn't necessarily drive more contracts or more appointments. Uh, they were intrigued by it, so they called, but it didn't yield us more revenue. But is, as it relates to just simple messaging, yes, we're very call or text us this number. We're very big on live answer, Joe. In fact, we track it. Last week, we were at 99% in one market and 98% in the other market as far as live answer. 99%. So of the calls that came in, we answered 99% of them live. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we, we, yeah, we're big on, well, think about it, Joe. You save time, obviously, if you answer the call for a motivated seller. But imagine all the time you save from the person that was just calling to tell you to pound sand, take me off your list. If you're able to take that call live, you might call, text, you know, 5, 10, 20 times over the course of a few days and all to find out that they wanted to be removed from the list. Yeah. So it's as valuable to remove people as it is to move yeah. on with those that are motivated. That's really good. And nobody else is doing this. No, nobody I, well, else I, is answering the phones. We're big advocates of it. Um, and we help our franchisees navigate the world of the best practice that answers many of their call live. In fact, we spend time encouraging our franchisees, Joe, to work on their responsiveness and their activity level on the management of their leads before they increase their marketing budget. Because you can do a lot if you manage your few leads well. That's kind of our philosophy, Joe. Few leads managed well is better than an abundance of leads managed poorly. Oh, yeah. Uh, You know, we say this all the time, too. If you're not on the phone, you're not making money. That's right. And I mean, it'd be nice if you could just send people to a website, they could put their information in, you could have a computer software, calculate an offer, you could send it to them email it, then text it, and they respond back, yeah, I like it. And then you send them a digital signature for a contract. And, <laughs> and then you put it on your website and you email blast it to your buyers. 
right. you sell a deal and you just email everything to the title company. It just, just doesn't work that way. Occasionally, quite it does. Doesn't. Occasionally, you get a few of those. When you get those, Joe, that the problem is that becomes a curse because then your acquisition guys, if they're not careful, they're looking for those laydowns. They're looking for those. And that ends up being almost a, a curse because you set a mindset of, oh, they're, I'm looking for more of those. And that's not the standard practice. If if you were, I'll just say this. I want to ask you this question then, Mark. If you were to start, if I were to start all over again from scratch and I were to be dropped into a new market that I'd never been to and I had to do marketing in that market and I couldn't go back home to see my family until I started, I made 10 grand. Yep. This is exactly what I would do. I'd have to have a phone. If I didn't have a phone, I'd go steal steal one from somebody. I don't know. Sure. But sure. Uh, I would find a phone and get on the phone and I'd start calling every realtor and property manager, wholesaler and investor that I could find in that market and just start right. talking to them and saying, hey, I'm looking for deals. Do you got anything? And then uh, I would find out if they didn't have a deal, I'd be finding out, do you have a deal you're looking to buy? Are you looking to buy some deals? And then as soon as I made some money, I would invest it in direct mail, probably handwritten yellow letters. I would do them myself. And every single call that would come in, I would answer it myself. Yep. I would answer it myself. To, and it would go directly to my cell phone. I will put my cell phone number that's right. on the <laughs> that's letter. Right. Right. Reminds me, I interviewed a guy. Um, his name was Zach. Oh, his last name escapes me, but his dad, his dad created the handwritten postcard system. Okay. So his, his dad is a successful real estate investor, but the son, yeah, I don't want to do what dad does. And he's bagging groceries at a grocery store, senior in high school. Yep. And he got annoyed with his dad that he, cause he kept on seeing these big checks for 20, 30 grand, just sitting on his dad's desk for weeks and his dad wouldn't deposit them. Sure. And it wasn't intentional. His dad just kind of forgot and was busy. <laughs> sure. Like, yeah. This, what are you doing? This is significant money. And finally he realized, you know what? I don't want to be bagging groceries for the rest of my life. I want to do what my dad does. So he said, dad, what do I do? And his dad didn't want to give him, he didn't want to make it easy for him. So he said, here, read these books. His dad didn't think he'd read the books. Well, the kid did. And then he said, okay, well, read these next three books. And the kid did. And he's like, all right, so go stick out some bandit signs and go cold call. So this kid would, uh, and drive for dollars is what this kid did. So he yep. went out and put bandit signs and he put his cell phone number on the bandit signs. Okay, come on. That's risky business. That's risky And then business. he would drive around looking for beat up houses and would write their address on a uh, yellow pad of paper and would come home and just Google. So his dad wasn't even helping him teaching. He wasn't even teaching this kid how to do skip wow. tracing, right? And uh, he, the kid would go to Google and try to find the owner from public records and then go to some one of those white pages, free people search yep. websites to find the owners and would start calling. And it's funny, he tells a story of like, he would get phone calls during class from his bandit signs and he would race out of the classroom to get the calls Made his teachers mad. I think teachers oh, collect wow. phones anymore, right? But sure, anyway, sure. fast forward, I forget, but his first couple deals, he did 30, 40 grand or something like that. That changes and, everything. Oh, man. And, and so I look at that and think, we why do we complicate this stuff so much, right? We, we have to have... Now, I'm a big... I talked about FreedomSoft at the beginning of this thing, right? Sure. But you don't have to have these big, expensive, fancy technical tools, right? Nope. You just need a cell phone. That's right. That's it. <laughs> well, I don't know. People, that's not what people want to hear, right? They want they want to push easy button money yeah, calls on Skype, right? That's exactly right. And you just actually summarized, if everybody just takes that last two, three minutes and almost just evaluates their current operation or if they're just getting started and they just say, am I doing those very elementary but pivotal, pivotal activities consistently? And you could probably determine how consistently you are producing revenue based off of how 
religious you are, just those simple functions day in and day out, or your team is. I mean, that blueprint you just gave is beautiful. Those elementary activities done consistently. Oh, you know, you want to break it down even simpler? Talk to five sellers a day, right? Just right. talk to five people a day. If that's all you did, make yep. five calls to landlord, property manager, realtor, follow up with five old leads. If you just talk to five people a day, think how much yep. of a difference and an impact that would make in a new investor's business, right? Even if you're experienced and you've done a bunch of deals before. Nobody's doing that these days, right? It's like old fashioned. Here I am. I've, I'm already talking. I'm 47 <laughs> and I'm already talking about back in the days, but like it's not old fashioned sure. unless you, you know, unless you hate money, I guess don't forget about everything we're just saying here. Would you agree, Mark, or, or what? No, you're spot on. And, you know, one thing that, that maybe I would just compliment to your thought there is a lot of it's mindset, right? Maybe the, the concern or the, the practice with some people is they get stuck in analysis paralysis, this idea that they got to know everything. And, you know, what I liked about the story of uh, the Zach, you know, kid is he just got after it. You know, he just, you know, he didn't have a perfect plan per se, but he just knew that action, he was going to default to these activities. And that's one of the things I talk about with our franchisees or general, anytime I'm having this conversation with somebody getting in it is it's just the mindset of, all right, what am I going to do consistently? And, and am I going to do it with, am I going to default to action? Yeah. Am I going to default to urgency? I find in our business that when we default to urgency and action, you know, we were having lunch recently as a team, our acquisition team had one of our guys had a birthday and a web lead came in. True story. We take the web lead and we call it no answer. We send a text. Five minutes later, another guy calls, text, no answer. So we literally, we're done with lunch now. It's been 15, 20 minutes. And our guy hops in his truck and drives over to the person's house, calls us an hour later with a contract. Yeah. And he wasn't invited to the home. And here's the beautiful thing about that, Joe, is she was happy to have him come. She's like, oh yeah, I filled that out. And I set my phone down and I walked away. Thanks for stopping by. Yeah, let me give you a tour of the house. And that's, I bet you that same seller, if not her, then many of them do, filled out that same form on five other competitors' websites. That's exactly right. And had he not showed up, maybe she returns everybody's calls, sets appointments later on for other people. But because our acquisition guy defaulted to action and got out there, it made all the difference. It really does. And that's what I loved about the story of Zach is he was just getting out there, putting out bandit signs. I mean, that's an awful idea to put your cell phone on a bandit sign. But in the early (laughs) days... Don't do that. And this was in South Florida, Palm Beach area, somewhere out there. Very competitive. All right, so... What are some of the other simple, basic things, Mark, that investors need to be hyper-focused on? Well, we alluded to it a little bit before, but the first one I always talk about is mindset. You have to be default to action. Um, the other thing is, you, in my mind, if you're focused on the property and the price and worried about the logistics of repair costs and all those different things, you're missing the point. This is a people, human-to-human connection business. The two things that I think you need to be focused on is solving problems and building relationships. I mean, we've sat down with people, Joe, where they committed to sell their house and we hadn't even talked about price. And they said, yep, let's do it. Let's get this done. And we hadn't even settled on a price. They don't even know if we're 50,000 apart, 100,000 apart, but they've committed. And, and I kid you not, this has happened, you know, a lot of times where we've been working with sellers. Now, obviously that's one extreme, ex- or, you know, extreme example, but the principle is, is true. One of the most elementary things that we overthink is, okay, you know, how do I evaluate the repair costs? How do I evaluate the ARV? How do I negotiate the price? And, you know, all these things. And sure, those things are important. You need to become, you need to become sufficient at those things. But really, at the end of the day, don't lose sight of the most important things, solving the seller's problem and, and building a connection with them and doing it in a, gen, a genuine way. You don't become a, a chameleon. 
you have to genuinely be interested in helping them navigate through whatever they're going through. And I believe that's one of the most elementary concepts that have done well. You'll make an incredible impact and you'll, in turn, the money will follow. You'll make lots of money in real estate if you focus on serving them and, you know, connecting, making a real human to human connection. People want to be led. They want to be guided to a solution out of their distressed situation or home or both. And if you can be that guide, and you can only be that guide if you're genuinely there to help them and to solve their problems. Really good. All right. So um, what are some other things? Like I'm thinking about going on appointments, right? That's something that you guys still do. That sounds pretty old fashioned these days, doesn't it? We do. Yeah, Joe, you're exactly right. I am a huge advocate of knee-to-knee, face-to-face, uh, human connection. In fact, that's the only way you can differentiate yourself against iBuyers and everybody else. They're not going to be able to provide that. For me, you know, there's some appointments that are 15 minutes long. There's some that are an hour and a half and there's some of the three or four hours. And at the end of the day, either one of those is worth the investment of time because I'm planting a seed, I'm discovering their needs, and I'm going to stay in touch with them until they're ready to sell their home. For me, appointments are an elementary activity that will never, you know, for me and my operations and the Joe Homebuyer franchise system, we're always going to invest the time to connect with people because that's the differentiator. That's where the satisfaction comes that I'm providing a real service and I'm providing meaningful solutions for these families. Our mission at Joe Homebuyer is improving lives by delivering creative real estate solutions. That's the idea of, yeah, I'm going to make a lot of money in real estate. Yeah, I'm going to you know uh, do a transaction, but I'm going to make sure that it very much does improve the lives of the family that I'm working with and that I'm going to put their interest as a major part of the equation. They have to benefit. They have to have an improved life through that experience. So yes, you nailed it. Going on appointments, making sure that uh, you're getting that human connection. And I would add to that, you know, an an elementary activity that we alluded to with the live answer. I, I would just emphasize, like, you spend so much time and energy marketing and, you know, money and time to organize everything. You owe it to yourself to do the most elementary things. Just you have to be a hound dog on all the leads. Because if you, you know, Again, that the lifeblood of your appointments is your leads and you have to exhaust efforts. We actually had a training on that as a team this morning. What are we doing to turn over every rock with every opportunity? We had a, for a quick story, I'll, I'll make it quick here, Joe, but I, we had a seller the other day call up and set an appointment and then two hours later, she canceled it. So we couldn't get a hold of her for the next two, three days. Finally, three days later, we get a hold of her. She says, yeah, I've already sold it. A, li- a realtor listed it for me and we have offers coming in and we've got it under contract. So we could have let the lead die right there. But when I'm talking about turning over every rock, we looked up on the MLS and sure enough, it was listed, but it wasn't under contract yet. So we actually called the realtor and sure enough, the realtor says, yeah, I'm expecting a bunch of leads and you're going to have to be at 280 to 300 to pick up this home. Well, we could have let it die there too, but we stayed in touch with him. Did your offers come in the next day, the next day, did the offers come in? Sure enough, he says, you know what? Why don't you make an offer? We make an offer at 240. We end up settling at 263 and we anticipate making 30 or $40,000 on this transaction because we didn't give up when the seller canceled our appointment is the first no. Then she wouldn't answer our call. That's another no. Then she told us she had us under contract. That's another no. Then we you know, had to stay in touch with the realtor and we eventually got it and we're going to make a healthy profit. But that's what I'm talking about. That's the elementary activities of managing leads, getting yourself opportunities that is just a forgotten yeah. you know, principle that you have to live by. So um, what are you doing mostly now? Are you wholesaling? Are you wholetailing? Uh, putting the properties on the MLS? Are you fixing them up? What are you doing with your deals? It's a very methodical process. You've got to, again, all the investment of time and energy. So for us, we wholesale still somewhere around uh, 60%, but there's 40% that we're wholesaling, selling to an iBuyer or doing any form of rehab. We're not big into major rehabs, but we'll spend 20, 30, even 40,000 on a rehab. If it, you know, if the, as we run a pro forma, we can see that that's going to be the highest yielding return. But for me, that's 
That's a very methodical process. So on the acquisition side, you're urgent, urgent, urgent. On the disposition side, I think you have to be very methodical and calculated to capture as much revenue as possible. Okay. All right. You were talking about following up with these customers. So what are some of the tools you guys use to do the follow-up, to remind you to do the follow-up if you're dealing with a lot of leads? What do you guys use? Yeah, well, a couple of things. I think personnel is important. Do you have somebody that is engaged with all the opportunities and is not just incentivized, but is culturally as part of the team that that is something that brings them fulfillment, that they love being the guy. We call it the smoker. So if you think you're Traeger or your smoker, you know, we, we call it our smoker. They're in the smoker. And who is it on the team that, you know, is calling all the not readies, the due diligence type leads. So obviously we have a very systematic way where we set tasks for each one of the clients, uh, each one of the sellers. And then we have somebody on the team that is always working on those in the smoker. When are they going to be ready? And then they team up for the acquisition team. But when I say manage those leads, yeah, you, we also don't hear no very easily, Joe. For us, if it's a heck no, take me off your list, that's, that's a definite no. But if it's a, yeah, I don't see myself selling anytime soon. We are going to put them in an incubator to maybe call them six months later. For us, a lot of the responses are no. We actually pulled some data. Now, this has been some, some time ago, but we do prospecting web and direct mail and we have a relationship manager working with you know, the investor. So we have lots of channels in our company. But what we discovered is one month we were looking through our deals that were yielding revenue. And believe it or not, Joe, of the contracts, half of them had told us no at one time, which is an interesting data point, right? At some point, we'd either call them or something and they said, yeah, not ready. Not, and again, they don't use the word not ready. They just say, yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to sell. And sure enough, half of the contracts we pulled in that month. And again, I think it was a, a, a month we did nine contracts and four or five of them had told us no previously. So it's just important that you evaluate it from that perspective. And that again, goes back to the mindset of you've got to manage these leads extremely well because you, you know even a no doesn't necessarily mean no, no. We looked back in 2019, Gavin and I and his team did about 58 deals in a 12 month period. And they looked inside the CRM, how much how many of those deals came from that first conversation with the seller? Yep. Only four of them did. Of the 58 deals, 54 of them came from follow-up. Some of them, it was just a couple of times. Some of them was a couple of years. But the, the consistent follow-up on average, six or seven touches over three to four months on average was the follow-up process from that. And again, some of them are right away. Some of them are right. long. But if we would not have done any follow-up, we would have only done four deals that year. Can you believe that? Yeah, that is bonkers. It's crazy. It's just that's the, the simple, basic things of following up. Following that's exactly up, right? right. Well, we all have had acquisition guys, or maybe it's even our mindset, who are really good at the hot deals. Like they came in today, they're good, good, good. But you have to find and, and create a culture within your company that follow-up is really a critical component of the longevity of your company. And we've had acquisition guys, that if it's a hot lead, they're as good as anybody. They'll get it, they'll sniff it out, and they'll put it under contract. But you have to condition your team in that mindset just to compliment your point on, I mean, really 90 some odd percent of your transactions occurred because of follow-up and you just can't undervalue. That is very much, if you're talking about four or five basic principles of our business practices, that, that has to be, you know, in that top three or four or five, uh, you just have to get yeah. good at follow-up. Well, I would add even too, if you want one of the fastest ways to a deal, if you're new, you don't have any money for marketing, find another investor with old leads and offer to follow Love up it. their old leads. Love I mean, it. That is, I learned that I've kind of known that for a long, long time, but then Gavin Timms, my coaching business partner, he has a story and I love telling it where he was in Phoenix, super competitive market. And the guy he was coaching with, being coached by the time, at the time said, you know, do direct mail. So he did not one lead, like literally he spent a couple thousand dollars, not one single lead. Wow. And he was like, well, 
what I do now. And uh, he recommended going to a local real estate investment club. So he went to the local RIA and stood up when it came time for what do you have, what do you need or whatever. And he said, listen, I'm good on the phone. If anybody has some old leads, you need somebody to help follow up with your old leads, let me know. And I can call them for you and we can split the deal. He had two or three people come to him. One lady in particular gave him, it was, I forget the numbers, but it was staggering, like only 30 or 40 leads. Yep. And the next day, he called all of them and got two contracts, two or three contracts within a couple of days. And he had no idea what he was doing. He just he just was teeing them up for the other investor. I and the lady was like, oh my gosh, can you just take all of my leads? Mm-hmm. I'll do all the marketing. You take all the calls. And But there's so much opportunity out there of these old leads sitting in a woodpile somewhere of some investor's database that if you're listening to this and you just want to make a quick buck, find somebody with old leads yep. and make them an offer. Say, listen, I'll call all of your old leads and you give me whatever contracts you want. You tell me how to make the offers, whatever. I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to call all of them. I'm going to follow up with them. I'm going to be your hound dog. I'm relentless going to follow up with these old leads. And you'll find people with old leads and you will do deals. I guarantee it. Oh, wow. That's Actually, that's I think we might have just cracked the code together here, Joe, or you did, and I'm just an audience member here. But I, I'm, if you're going into a new market, I love that idea. Go to a re meeting, ask for old leads, or even just make some calls and say, hey, what do you have? Just give me the worst. Of the, yeah, put me to work. And Can I'll I tell you one more story? I want to hear it. I'm, I'm yeah. interviewing you and I'm doing most of the talking. Sorry, Mark. No, I love this. This is good. You know, if you like this podcast, come on, subscribe, leave me a review and go to my YouTube channel. All right, so there's a guy around here and I don't really even know who he is, but I've heard of him. And he's a guy who just kind of hangs out in his man cave and comes out every six months when he needs to make some money. And this is all he does. He's got a Rolodex and maybe it's on, it's not, it's actually not an actual Rolodex, yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's what he's got a list of a hundred, 200 phone numbers. Yep. And every time he wants to make some money, he gets through that and he calls everybody on that list and asks them two questions. Number one, you got any deals? Number two, are you looking to buy any deals? Right. And eventually, by the time he goes through those 100 or 200 names, he'll find somebody that has a deal they're looking to sell and somebody else is looking to buy a deal. He puts them together, makes his money, goes back into his man cave (laughs) and plays video games or something like that. Right. So like so, so simple, so simple. Yeah. All right. And again, that goes back to that best practices. Yeah, I I love it. It's the idea that it's it's going back to the basics. Again, it's not easy, though, because what we're forgetting is who's willing to hop on the phone and make those 200 calls. We may say that we are, yeah. but you might be 30 calls in and realize this is rough or I'm yeah. not enjoying this. And so a lot of people don't see through all 200. And I'm telling you, that's the difference between those that succeed and those that don't is again, it's the easy part. It's simple. It's calling through 200 people. It's calling your 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 friend uh, investors list of, of, uh, of bad leads. But it's most of us won't say it through all the all the leads because it's not fun. It's not easy. It's hard. It's time consuming. It's well, and, draining. And I'm not saying I like to do it either, right? No. But you know, it's not easy to if some somebody sends you to voicemail to call them immediately back right away and to That's send right. them a text and call them a third <laughs> time, right? Because you're gonna offend them and make them mad. Right. Somebody's but you gonna, don't. No. So somebody's listening to this. Some somebody's listening to this right now is gonna be, oh my gosh, light bulbs going off, and you're gonna be like, That's not me. That's not gonna be me. And you're going to take the advice that we're telling you right here and you're going to go make a million dollars. I hope so. I believe it, Joe. So I bet you this, I'm going to hear a testimonial back from somebody five years from now, within five years from now, they're going to tell me, Joe, I listened to that podcast with you and Mark and I went and did what you did and I made a million dollars. Thank you very much. I love it. Do it. Come on, let's get it. it. Let's make it happen. (laughs) All right. So Mark, talk about Joe Homebuyer. Why did you guys decide to start a franchise? 
You know, it's that ambition, right? It's, uh, you know, I will tell you, we weren't perfect with uh, all of our expansion ideas. We went to Indiana, Indiana, one year after being uh, in business, thinking, oh, we've got it all figured out, Joe. We've, we're one year into business. And uh, although we were fine in Indiana, we were making money, it was a distraction. We weren't ready to expand. Well, thankfully, over the last three to four years, we realized we want to have strategic partners all throughout the country. And that is how Joe Homebuyer, the franchise, was born, is what's the best way to expand? It's to have strategic partners that were invested in their success. And we build out a you know business in a box strategy that they can employ all of our activities that have helped us be very successful in franchising or in real estate so that they could own a piece of that. They could basically be us in their market. And so that's how Joe Homebuyer came together is you know all the goods and bads uh, that uh, we experienced over the course of time. And thankfully, we have some very successful franchisees now. And it's uh, become a, a very... Um, there's a lot of momentum and a lot of excitement uh, around Joe Homebuyer and the success that our franchisees are having. So talk about why a franchise though. I mean, what is it that people get in a franchise that they don't get in a course or in a coaching program or, or anything like that? Or some of the other franchises that we won't mention names here on, but... <laughs> there's only one other that I know of. And, uh, you know, I, I will tell you that there's a lot of great coaches and a lot of good systems out there. One of the biggest things is I really like to think of ourselves as a strategic partner in the sense that the only way that really a franchise succeeds is if their franchisees are getting results. You know, sure, there, there's a royalty, there's a setup where the franchisor receives a, a share in that. But at the end of the day, there's no share if the franchisee is not experiencing success. And so you ask, what, you know, what does a franchisee get that they wouldn't get through coaching? And the truth is, we have 40 some, some odd franchises by time that, that this airs. And at the end of the day, one franchisee might just like the mastermind group that we've created. One might like the acquisition training that we provide. All of the, our franchisees come to us to be trained and they send their team to us to be trained so they can leverage these things and they have a repository of content. But at the end of the day, uh, the universal theme is we've got a community of successful franchisees that collaborate, they share best practices. We're able to capture data. That data alone is incredibly valuable. Because we're marketing in several different markets and we can say, here's the best practices that are working. And then at the end of the day, they know they have a partner that they can go back to and help navigate their next 90 days and build out a roadmap. And that's what the franchise is, is helping them navigate, build out a roadmap so that they're on a trajectory for success. Okay, very good. What are what are some of the qualifications? You don't just take anybody, I assume, even if they had the money. Sure. Um, what are some of the qualifications that you would look for? And what are the what are some of the things that you'd say, no, we're not going to, we don't want to work with this person? Well, culturally, they have to adopt this mission of improving lives by delivering creative real estate solutions. Now that's hard, but at the end of the day, I have to feel warm and fuzzy when we make the final decisions on who we sell a franchise to, that they really will put the seller and their best interest in mind first. Uh, and I, I just, I'm convinced that money follows, that success follows, but there's, there's so much enjoyment in providing value to the families that you work with. And I just have to uh, have confidence that the franchise owner is going to adopt that mission and create that culture within their company. Interestingly enough, as far as criteria goes, uh, you know, that's the first one. You have to fit culturally. And we're very clear on that. But you don't have to have any real estate experience because for me, I didn't have any real estate experience when it came down to it, but you have to have either business experience or sales experience or both because you know what i found is people want to come into this business but they're not you know a lot of franchise systems like a subway for example you spend your money on building out a store and hiring pimple faced teenagers and buying inventory like bread and sandwich meat and that somehow feels like normal to them or that, that okay i at least i get a shipment of sandwich meat coming in the mail 
with you know marketing for wholesaling and distressed properties, there's no inventory that you're buying and there's no tangible product. And that can be disheartening for people. So we've found the most success with franchisees that have some experience with business or have some experience running things and understand that you, you know, you actually have to spend money on marketing to get results or you have to be, you know, at a, you know, and there's minimums you have to hit. So helping them navigate that and those that have, you know, more experience in that, you know, provides value. And then Joe, I have to tell you, those that are comfortable or willing to hire an acquisition person, if they're not naturally driven that way to, you know, strengthen sales, they have experienced uh, immediate success as well. This, you know, the sense that they are used to sitting down with families, enjoy interactions in that way. Uh, We have some guys though that, you know, they come from corporate America in the oil business and never had much interaction with the, you know, directly with the consumer. And so they hire an acquisition guy, but they have lots of business experience and they've done very well. So everybody across the spectrum, but we're looking for people that understand that this business is in real estate, but it's a marketing company and you have to spend money to make money. One of my most successful coaching students um, was a guy who owned at the time five uh, Jiffy Lubes. It might not have been Jiffy Lube. It might have been a um, one of those uh, past oil chain things, you know, and it was so refreshing. I only had maybe two or three coaching calls with him, right? Yep. (laughs) I was like, I could tell the minute I was talking to him, this guy gets it and he's going to kill it. And sure enough, he did and uh, just exploded his business. He's still doing really That's well today. so great. But like, there is something real true to that. And and also, I want to say this too. I'm not that sales guy that wants to be on the phone all day and meeting with sellers, belly button to belly button. Like, oh, I'd rather <laughs> just get a new, I need that like I need another hole in the head. But like, <laughs> I know how to find those people. I've had two acquisition managers and they were both former pastors, not former pastors. I have to qualify that because like, what, did they have a moral failing or something? No, they just retired. Sure. (laughs) Like, right. Uh, They were people, people. Yep. Is that right? Yep. And and then they loved hanging out and sitting and talking to people. And they weren't like high pressure salesmen, but they just loved people. And they were so good at their job, right? Because that's what this business is all about. So anyway, uh, don't think if you're listening to this thing, oh man, I'm not this high pressured sales guy. I hate sales. I don't want to be that guy who is is talking to five people a day. That gives me the (laughs) heebie-jeebies. You can hire those people. They are out there. And you don't, well, anyway, can you talk to that? Does that make sense? Yeah. And actually you complimented well and articulated it better than me, but your Jiffy Lube, Lube example you know, he experienced success, not because he knew anything about real estate or came in with that experience, but he understood business principles. He understood that, you know, again, if there's a hundred success principles and what are those things are the, you know, hard work, diligence, discipline, you know, again, you can go down and down the list. You know, we have found the most success with franchisees that already have an operating system in their lives that they are successful, that they're, that they're functioning, you know, they're striving to be a, a learner and to develop and grow as a leader. And, you know, it's hard sometimes to de- determine if that's, you know, true of an individual, but you do the best you can. And you want to tr- trust that, you know, cause those, mo- I believe that those are most, those that are most successful are true learners, right? They're, they're not done, you know, learning and they're teachable. And so that's, an, a, you know, another, you know, success principle being a, a true learner. And, and that's very contagious uh, for us or attractive to us. And that's what, uh, you know, we're seeking when we're thinking of who's a, a good candidate for a future Joe Homebuyer franchise. And what do you tell somebody who feel like is not a good candidate? Where do you send them? What do you tell them to do? They fizzle out. You know, it's a pretty okay. natural fizzle out process in the sense that, you know, we find that if if we stop the engagement, they generally stop the engagement. It, it's almost just natural that they, you know, the water kind of 
flows where it naturally goes. And, and uh, those that don't fit, uh, we're able to just kind of distance ourselves and it, it works out. So, you know, at the end of the day, we don't want to ever deliver hard news to somebody. Hey, we just don't like you as a Joe Home Buyer franchise. But we found that those that um, just don't fit culturally kind of, you know, weed themselves out. It's kind of funny, too. Probably the more you tell no to people, the more they want it. <laughs> I'm looking at your website, JoeHomeBuyerFranchising.com. That's right. What what is a good way to get in touch with you guys, Mark? Yeah, you know, you can find me on LinkedIn, Mark Stubler, S-T-U-B-L-E-R. But the truth is, that's a great way. If you want to talk with somebody uh, on my team or myself, definitely reach out to us at JoeHomeBuyerFranchising.com. And uh, if you just want to learn more about the franchise and how our system can help you grow and thrive in the real estate space, we'd love to talk with you and explore the idea. I love it. One question too, really quick before I forget. When you're making offers to buy houses, are you strictly cash? Just buy your house? Do you get into the creative side of things? We definitely do. Yeah. We, in do. Fact, we, okay. we had a real estate summit uh, with our franchisees over the last uh, week and a half here, spent several hours on you know best practices for creative financing. And yeah, we understand the art of that. And I know that's a strength of yours, Joe. In fact, I, I would be lying if I said I'm not a student of uh, some of the best practices you've used. Come on. Um, Cody has been exposed to some of your uh, strategies with lease options and things like that. So, And one more thing, two more things here. When, when your franchisees, do you help them with, you know, if they want to fix and flip or they want to buy and hold, is that something you kind of can help them with, navigate through how that all works as well? Yeah, we help them line up financing and strategize, you know, run a performa on best practice or, you know, risk reward type uh, yeah, tolerances. Yeah. And, you know, they have to determine their own risk reward. We have some franchisees that are really aggressive and others that are, you know, very conservative and that's okay, right? But we help them navigate the pros and cons. And then obviously, you know, we're very much advocates of this idea of a life cycle of an investor because somebody that's new into, you know, this business, you're not going to want to take on a rehab if it distracts you from managing your leads well and moving your business forward. So there's a time and a season to add those additional exit strategies to, you know, your business. Or if, you know, obviously there's strategies to do it right out the gate, but you have to be, make sure that it's not a distraction to the, to the company. Speaking of distractions, <laughs> joelandbuyer.com. Do you guys have that? I'm not certain if we have that. I don't know that we do. joelandbuyer.com. We need to get it if we don't. Well, it's taken. And I'm oh, just, okay. Not us then. No. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. Uh, you can get joelandbuyers.com for five bucks a year. But yeah, I was just wondering because vacant land is something that we've been doing a lot more of lately. Sure. Flipping vacant sure. land, lots of opportunity out there for that. Well, cool. We do Mark. have a lot of URLs. I'm not aware of all of them, but look, I, I would suspect that that one is one that I don't have. Maybe you can get Joey Landbuyer. I don't know. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> cool, Mark. So if people want to get a hold of you, LinkedIn is one way. Mark Stubler, S-T-U-B-L-E-R That's um, right. on LinkedIn. You can also guys go to uh, joehomebuyer.com. There is a link there for franchising opportunities. And I would encourage you to go look at their site and just see some of the best practices, what's working Please. today. And I would encourage you all as well to go back to this podcast, listen to it again. Some of the things that we've said on here are million dollar ideas that if so, you can just, it sounds so simple, you probably just skipped over it and like, oh, That's I heard true. that before. I love talking about the simple, basic, foundational, fundamental things in this business because it works. It really does. Well said. All right, Mark. Cool. Any any final advice, tips? Hey, I, I just appreciate you having me on, Joe. And, and maybe the only uh, quick tip or advice I'd share is, you know, kudos to those of you that are investing the time to listen to this podcast to uh, that are students of, you know, Joe McCall and, and applying the principles that he's, you know, earnestly trying to share with you. You've picked a great industry and a great mentor. 
And I just love to see people learning and growing and succeeding in real estate. So just compliments to those that are investing the time in themselves and specifically in this industry. Thank you very much, Mark. Appreciate it. And say hi to Cody. I'll do it. Do you yeah, guys work excited. together in the same office or are you? He's just, he's just through the wall here. Yeah. In fact, I'm surprised we can't hear him. He's pretty loud, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Give him a hard time for me. He's a good dude. You got it. All right. Absolutely. Thanks, Mark. We'll Thanks, see you guys sir. later. Mark, hang on for one second. We'll see you guys later. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.